Bonjour and welcome to the Good Life France podcast, everything you want to know about France and more. I'm Janine Marsh, I'm an author and travel writer, and though I was born in London, UK, I now live in a tiny village in the far north of France with 60 animals, including a rescue dove. Bonjour, and uh, I'm Olivier, a Frenchman living in the UK. Yes, I left my native country as well, like you did, Janine, uh, quite a long time ago, but I have done it uh, differently. Uh, to start with, I am not a DIY person, I mean, at all. So uh, no old house uh, refurbishment for me. Uh, also, I like animals, but I'm perfectly happy with one at a time. Couldn't imagine 60, really. So uh, I only have one cat. But as you know, when you have a cat, you also get uh, the occasional mouse, bird, rat, frog sometimes as well. So that's why we only have one. It's more than enough. So that's us. Now, let's crack on with uh, today's topic, please, Janine. What are we going to be talking about? Cheese. That's what we're going to be talking about, fromage in French, because when you talk of France, as we do on this podcast, you just have to talk cheese because the French love their cheeses and everyone else loves them too. I have to say, I never really cared for cheese very much before I moved to France, but you can hardly eat a chunk of cheese without someone telling you a story about it here. And when the food comes up with such a fascinating history, it's really hard not to get caught up in it. Yeah, it's true. With French, we can't get enough of our fromage. I mean, uh, I, I like a little bit of English cheddar too, for sure, but nothing beats the smell of a good old-fashioned fromage from France. <laughs> it's true. We really love a good stinky cheese here in France, and we're going to be talking about the smell of some of the cheeses as we dive into the histories and more the stinkiest weirdest and oldest cheeses of france this is our homage to fromage the good life france podcast everything you want to know about france and more with janine marsh and olivier joffrey when you think of france maybe you get an image in your head of a man carrying a baguette perhaps wearing a stripy breton t-shirt maybe wearing a beret. But for me, now that I live in France, my image of a typical French person revolves around food, sniffing wine and saying, mm. and yes, maybe carrying a baguette or more like eating the end of it on the way home or taking ages to pick just the right cake in a cabinet full of cakes and especially discussing which cheese to buy with the help of an affineur in a cheese shop, a fromagerie. Actually, Ollie, before we get any further into cheese land, can you just explain what an affineur is, please? Because I don't really think that most countries have the same thing. I was certainly never aware of it before France anyway. Sure, I can. Um, an affineur is a cheese uh, maturing specialist. Basically, um, they get the cheese from the maker and they care for it, ripen and age it. They refine it until it's uh, perfect for eating, of course. So there are shops all over France run by affineurs who buy uh, the cheese in. And uh, like you uh, lay wine down until it's uh, at its best, they nurture the cheese until it's ready to go on the shelf uh, in the shop. So there are some uh, famous affineurs in France. They are cheese <laughs> celebrities. That's exactly what it is. Like the Hollywood stars of the cheese world, Philippe Olivier, who is from the north of France, for instance, uh, is a legend. Maybe uh, we should have uh, like, uh, you know, a Hollywood walk of fame for cheeses. And instead of uh, handprints, we can just squidge a wedge or round of cheese in with the name. And then, of course, we could organize um, yourself and myself, Janine, the equivalent of the Oscars for cheese. I can picture it really well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Good Life France Cheese Award Ceremony. This year's nominees are blah, 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 blah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. We're definitely going to have to have an Oscars for cheese. Um, I'm not going to give anything away now, but yeah, we're going to do that. And and I really love your description of what an affineur does as well. They care for the cheese, almost like it's a pet. <laughs> it's got this pet cheese sitting on the windowsill, just, you know, ripening off. So cheese. To the French, cheese it really is a symbol of Frenchness, but it's more than that, you know, it's because cheeses are a regional symbol and they're a symbol against the mechanisation of food because the best and the most loved cheeses in France are made by hand, artisan products. Although I must say in the supermarket, there are loads of corporate made cheeses too, whole aisles full of different cheeses and they're all pretty good as well. I was in a, a little restaurant in Le Touquet near where I live and... Um, recently and I, I ordered some moules you know mussels cooked in in white wine with reblochon cheese and it was really delicious and there was this lady on the table next to mine and she must have heard me say oh I've never tried reblochon before in a sauce it's really nice and she was a French lady and she said to me do you know the story of this cheese no I don't know the story of this cheese didn't know I had a story so she says uh, it comes from haute savoie and reblochon comes from the word reblocher which literally means to pinch a cow's udder again. Oh, this has got to be a story. So apparently in the 14th century, French farmers were taxed according to how much milk their herds produced. And they were quite clever and thought, so if we only partially milk the cows when the tax assessors are here, and we wait until they go, and then we'll milk them again, we'll save some money. So that's what they did. And the second milking was more full and rich, and they used that to make reblochon cheese. I think that's absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love this uh, reblochon story. Uh, it's true we French love our cheese legends. I think my favorite is Le Banon, you probably say Banon, uh, from uh, Provence, which is wrapped in chestnut leaves. It's a really old cheese, actually, and it's said that uh, the Roman emperor, Antoine Le Pieux, died of uh, gluttony from eating it. Can you imagine that? No, and no, I have to say, he did not live up to his name of being pious if he uh, died from eating too much cheese. Good Lord. Never heard of that one before. Cheese pretty much flavours everything in France, I would say, and it comes in all shapes and sizes. It's covered in ash. It's covered in herbs, flowers, straw, leaves, and all sorts of things. One of the cheesiest cheese dishes ever is a local dish in northern France. It's called Le Welsh. Basically, Le Welsh sizzles away in a dish it's a bowl of melted cheese, and sometimes they use maroual, which is um, our first cheese reveal. But Le Welsh actually comes, they say, from Agincourt, you know, the historic battle. The archers came over, they loved this cheese dish, and so it was called Le Welsh. I don't know about that. It could just be made up. One of those really excellent marketing stories, but we all love Le Welsh here in the north, and we especially love it with maroual which was made by monks more than 1,300 years ago in the town of Marwal in the north of France. Am I saying that right, Ollie? Yeah, Marwal, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My French accent. <laughs> well, anyway, the monks used to pay their taxes with it. It's really, really smelly, and it comes in many forms, including, round here at least, the very famous boulette d'Avene, which is nicknamed, believe it or not, Le Suppositoire du Diable, which means the devil's suppository. Ouch. Sounds hideous, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds really horrible, but it's um, it's a, a got a pointed shape and it's intensely red because it's covered in paprika. 
as well as pepper, uh, tarragon, cloves and parsley. So although it's got this terrible name, it's actually really delicious. And they've been making it for at least 500 years. And in the old days, it was left to mature on windowsills for a month to dry out, which must have been really nice for the neighbours. Um, I first ate Marwal in Lille, which is in the Nord of France. I'd been cycling in the city to see all the sites with friends. We were really hungry and wanted real food afterwards. So, you know, like really robust, fill you up quick food. So we went to this place called the Ganguette de la Marine, which is one of those authentic little places that pepper the region. And there are like wooden swings hanging from the ceiling in front of the bar. And there was an old man with a hat, you know, like nursing his pastis like they do, moaning about politicians. There's an old hurdy-gurdy organ in the corner. There's French music playing, you know, the, the sort you play on your radio station, Ollie. Classic, vintage, mm-hmm, nice. absolutely brilliant. And there was this big blackboard menu. And oh God, I remember it like it was yesterday. And there was this dish called Flamiche Marwal. So I said to my French friends who I was cycling with, what sort of cheese is that? And they went... Oh, you know, Marwal. It's a pie with Marwal. And they were like nodding to each other. It's really strong. It's really pungent. But when it's cooked, it's not quite so strong. So, and it will be cooked in the pie. Well, I've got to tell you, I could smell it before the waitress came into the room. It's it's like strong, earthy, powerful. This waitress came out of the kitchen. She honestly, she carried it across the room. It was like with reverence. And I really felt like everyone was watching the progress of the pie, the smelly cheese pie. And I felt like all the diners were nodding, you know, sort of a secret acknowledgement of my excellent good taste. And I really do believe everyone was watching me as I took my first mouthful because it was really hot, liquid, sticky, strong, full-bodied, fermented, fruity, really, really smelly. They said it wasn't smelly when you cook it. It was really smelly. There was just this like hint of sweetness. And I've got to tell you, it was absolutely delicious. And for me, it was love at first bite. So a proper French experience for you. <laughs> yes, it really was. <laughs> it really was. You never forget your first Marwal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And people around you are neither. <laughs> no, this is true. Another strangely named uh, cheese is Le Crotin de Chavignol from uh, near Sancerre in the Loire Valley. Uh, crotin is an old French word for sheep dropping. Fancy testing it, people, maybe? <laughs> Do you know, I love that French food is an all oat cuisine. It's kind of earthy too. And I kind of think like, I don't know, these shepherds hundreds of years ago coming up with this cheesy recipe and thinking, hmm, where have I seen something like this before? <laughs> Crotin Chavignol are um, actually little uh, dropping shaped cheeses from goat milk. Delicious, uh, creamy and nutty as well. Uh, especially good with a glass of Sancerre. Delicious. I've actually had uh, Crotin de Chavignol in the Loire Valley, just down the road from Sancerre with a glass of Sancerre. And I've got to tell you, it's heavenly. But back to my smelly neck of the woods now. And how about a slice of cheese that really packs a punch? Vieux Boulogne. Old Boulogne, as the locals call it. Old stinky. It was tested by scientists in the UK who were trying to categorise smelliest cheeses in the world. What a job, eh? And uh, this one came up with first place. They apparently used an electronic nose sensor. Uh, I could have told them they didn't even need that. They could have just used their own noses because you can smell it from about 100 metres away from anywhere it's being sold. It's uh, a really creamy cow's milk that's very pungent, powerful, pugnacious even. Another one you never forget your first time. 
I like it with a glass of local beer and a picnic on the clifftops of the beautiful, uncrowded Opal Coast in northern France. So it was the smelliest cheese in the world. <laughs> I love it. But apparently so, yes. So we've talked about um, Camembert before on this podcast, uh, you may remember, but uh, we can't do a cheese episode without mentioning France's most popular cheese, Camembert, of course. Legend has it that uh, it was first made in 1791 by Marie Arel, a farmer from uh, Normandy, after she was given advice by a priest from Brie, where another famous French cheese is made, the Brie, of course. Brie was invented by monks more than 1200 years ago, and it was a favorite of the great emperor Charlemagne, who visited uh, the priory where it was made in the year 774. He liked it so much He had it regularly delivered to his castle. 1,000 years later, another king loved it so much it cost him dear. Louis XVI was under house arrest during the time of the French Revolution, of course, and uh, was about to escape, but he couldn't resist feasting on brie and red wine and missed his chance. That's not good, Louis. In French, we say, la gourmandise te perdra. Greed will be your downfall. Here you go. That's a great example. It really is. I mean, oh, God, can you imagine how history would have been different if he wasn't such a greedy king for the yes. old Brie? <laughs> that is just nuts, isn't it? And in fact, Brie, it's known in France as the king of cheeses. In the early 1800s, a series of diplomatic meetings were held in Europe. They were called the Congress of Vienna. And they had a break, the diplomats, you know, because obviously they were working hard. And then they decided to have a cheese contest. And uh, this was suggested by the French delegation, of course. So more than 60 varieties of cheese were presented, including English Stilton, um, Dutch Limburger, Italian Stracchino, and Swiss Gruyere. Yeah, no chance. <laughs> Not a <laughs> chance, no. The French Duke de Talleyrand waited until the end. Everyone else had had their cheeses tasted, and then he bought Brie in, and everyone then had to vote. And of course, Brie was declared the winner, Le Roi de Fromage, the king of cheeses. And I really love that, you know, because you just think of all these old geezers in there, because I doubt if there were any women involved in this meeting at that time. And they were taking themselves really seriously. And then they have a cheese eating contest. It's just nuts, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. So now, what do you think, Janine, the oldest cheese in France is? I think I know this. It's Cantal, right? Yes, it is. It's so old that the Romans knew about this cheese. Pliny the Elder uh, mentioned it in his writings. It's a cow's milk cheese made in Auvergne and named after the Cantal Mountains, les montagnes du Cantal. And it's the only French cheese made like an English cheddar. Yes. And uh, this is a big cheese. A round of Cantal can weigh up to uh, 100 pounds. It's very nice with a little glass of fresh red, like uh, a Beaujolais. The cheese tastes of flowers and the herbs of the mountains. If you go to the region and find a farm where they make it uh, the traditional way, uh, get some butter to go with a baguette and your cheese. They scrape the cream off the way from the cheese. And if it's a real artisan maker, they put also the cream in a bucket and just churn it with their bare hands. Don't laugh about my English accent, Jenny. <laughs> it's very hard to say. <laughs> oh, stop. I've just got this image in my head now of you know, yeah. a bucket of cream, oh, just dipping my hands in and turning it. Oh, my. I'm drooling. Ugh. Okay, let's talk about something that's not quite so nice, shall we? Because the weirdest cheese I've ever heard of is Kasu Marzu. 
I was in Corsica last year, this absolutely gorgeous little island just off the coast of Nice. And um, I was with a, on a cruise with the brilliant Quasi Europe, which I thoroughly recommend, by the way. And we were walking through a gorgeous town called Porto Vecchio. And the guide was telling me about the local specialities, which what he called wormy cheese. Though mm. so he said, you can't buy it anymore because it's pretty much illegal to sell it. But he knew of someone who still makes it and plenty of people apparently still eat it. Anyway, it's not really wormy cheese. It's maggoty cheese, little maggots. And it originates from the island of Sardinia, which is right next to Corsica. And this cheese holds the Guinness Book of Records for the world's most dangerous cheese. Oh, Basically, it's a sheep cheese and flies lay eggs on it, on like on the rind. And then the eggs hatch and the maggots then sort of turn the cheese into a sort of soft, creamy cheese. And this guide I was with, he assured me that when you open the cheese up, it's full of maggots. And some people eat the whole lot. Some people get rid of the cheese. They um, sort of douse it in brandy. They store it in brandy so that it gets rid of the maggots. And then they spread it on toast, which, you know, sounds like a really nice idea apart from the maggots. Um, he didn't think it was at all weird, the guide. He was Corsican, of course. He said, this is a tradition. Some people say that the cheese can actually get up and walk thanks to the critters inside. Would you eat that, Ollie? Mm, try to guess. <laughs> no. I mean, uh, <laughs> I was not even that French and that into cheese when I was actually living in France uh, something like uh, 20 years ago. So imagine now that's a solid, definitive no for me. No, me neither. I think I'd rather eat worms, actually. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, I'd rather not eat worms. But um, no, I don't think I could eat that cheese either. Although, according to the guide, some people say it's an aphrodisiac. Yeah, right. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I think it would have the completely opposite effect for me. Yeah, they say that to force you to try it. But uh, we're not fooled, are we? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> so now, what about mimolette, though? I'd eat that. And that has bugs on it too. Mimolette is also known as Boule de Lille, after its city of origin. Or Vieux Hollande as well, because it's a bit like Edam cheese from Hollande. It has a long history and was commissioned by the French king Louis XIV. Or that's what they say. Some people think it has always been made in France, but was uh, rebranded to suit the times. But uh, no one knows for sure. Legend has it that in the 1600s, the king decreed that the importation of foreign products to France was to be actively avoided. He wanted French goods to take their place. So he put restrictions on imports, included Edam, which was uh, very popular at the time, and uh, everyone was uh, very upset. So the king demanded that a French alternative be found, and if there wasn't one, make one. So the cheese makers of Lille came up with a cow's milk cheese in a bowl shape weighing around two kilos with an orange rind created by introducing a natural day called anato. This was used to differentiate it from Edam. But they didn't stop there. Those clever cheese makers found a way to add extra flavor by introducing little cheese mites, microscopic organisms, which create holes in the surface They are brushed off from time to time in the cheese-making process, but um, some remain. You should be aware of that. Mm, I, I actually do really like mimolet. I, I don't have a problem. You can't, it's not like you don't see the bugs or anything. It's just got like little holes on it. But um, So I don't really think about the fact that I might be eating bugs, to be honest. I remember reading about mimolet being banned in some countries like America 
where they, they put absolutely tons of mimolet in quarantine. Poor mimolet. And there was um, <laughs> and there was um, a save the mimolet Facebook page at one point. <laughs> vive la, vive la mimolet. That's what I say. Okay, let's talk about a nice cheese without anything, you know, added in it, uh, kind of. Le Mont d'Or, <laughs> it's one of just a handful of cheeses you eat with a spoon, madame. In France, it is seen as the best of the raw milk cheeses. And uh, when you taste it for the first time, you will understand why, trust me. It's made in Franche-Comté, which is a region east of France, and ripened in wood cases, which uh, gives uh, it a slightly woody taste, of course. It was a favorite fromage of uh, King Louis uh, the 15th. It's only made between mid-August and mid-March in France, and uh, only 11 factories in the French uh, region, uh, the Jura, are licensed to produce it. It's a protected, very protected cheese, and there's nothing else quite like it. So if you get a really ripe Mondor, you can eat it straight out of the pot, dip in a chunk of fresh baguette, and scoop it up or slaver it on with a spoon. It has got a, a delicious, uh, nutty, earthy taste. And you can bake it too. That's a really popular way to eat it in France, as it brings out even more flavor. That sounds like the perfect cheese to me. It is the perfect cheese. I absolutely love Mondor. It's um, it's so French. It should be wearing a beret and carrying a baguette, I reckon. I like it baked with uh, a little bit of garlic and some herbs. Mm -mm. And there's a lovely recipe on my website, if you'd like one, which is called thegoodlikefrance.com. And there's heaps more cheese recipes too. And now I reckon it's uh, time for some fun French cheese facts. What do you reckon, Ollie? Oh, yes, yes. I love fun facts, especially about cheese. Um, I've got one. Uh, there are a load of cheese competitions for the best affiner that we talked about earlier, the best uh, cheese maker, the best cheeses, ghost cheese, etc., etc. That's the Concours National des Fromages, the Salon du Fromage and the Mondial du Fromage, the World Cup of Cheese Making, in a way. At this contest, uh, the candidates from around the world have to make and uh, mature the cheese, then cut and sculpture it for presentation on a cheese platter. The current champion, uh, she's called Virginie Dubois d'Orn. She's from Arras, near where you live again, Janine. This is the best place to live, Ollie. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like it, yes. And uh, that <laughs> lady, uh, she uh, matures the cheese in, uh, in caves under Arras Citadel, built by uh, Louis, or Louis XIV, uh, military engineer Vauban in the uh, 17th century. Uh, do you know, I haven't even tried that cheese. I'm definitely, I'm going to go to Arras Market and uh, get some of that cheese next week. Here's my fun fact. I've seen loads of people posing in Paris or around France for photographs and then they're all lined up in front of the camera and they say fromage because they're trying to smile <laughs> because, you know, in, Eng in English, we, when we line up for a photo and we want to smile, we say cheese, which pulls your face into a big smile. But French people don't say this at all, because if you say fromage, you're not going to be left smiling. You're just going to look slightly demented with your lips puckered up in a yeah. sort of goat face way. <laughs> But no, the French say marmoset, except they don't say in English. Obviously, they say in French, which is wistity. <laughs> if you're listening, go on, give it a go. Say it. Pulls yeah. your smile right out, doesn't it? And it sounds like wistity. We do say cheese uh, in English uh, a bit as well for photographs. But uh, yeah, with Titi, uh, the kids love it. And um, something else, uh, President Charles de Gaulle famously said, how can you govern a country which has 246 varieties of, of cheese? 
well, it was a bit off the mark, um, Charlie, uh, with that number, because there are so many more than that. <laughs> In fact, nobody knows how many varieties of cheeses there are, more than a thousand, maybe 1,300, maybe more. Just think, if you are uh, a cheese head, you could eat a different cheese every day of the year for about three years. I can't believe you just called Charles de Gaulle Charlie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I used I to know him a lot. Quite... <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Some of those cheeses, though, I mean, a different cheese for every day of the year. I reckon I could do it, but only if I don't have to eat the maggot cheese from Corsica. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I feel full now. Enough cheese, because now it's time for the question and answer session. Got a question about France? Well, ask the experts. We reply to you in each episode. And we do it for free. So, Janine, what's today's question? Okay, it's an interesting one, and it's quite an unusual one, this one. It's from Diane Jarvis of sunny Melbourne, Australia. And she says, <laughs> so great. she says she read there is a law in France that UFOs, <laughs> identified flying objects, are banned. <laughs> what do you think, Ollie? True or false? Only if they don't like cheese. No, not exactly that. <laughs> But, well, I, I know that, in fact, this is true. So, uh, aliens, if you are listening, which maybe they are, because, uh, you know, France is the most popular tourist destination in the world and beyond, remember? Uh, beware, do not park your spaceship in France, especially in Provence. That's uh, forbidden. Yes, Ollie, you did claim on the last podcast when we were talking about France being a popular destination for tourists that it was, in fact, the most popular tourist destination in the world and beyond. And uh, I'm sure you're right. And in fact, yes, you are quite right as well about UFOs. It's in Chateauneuf-du-Pape in Provence, in Vaucluse, that this is the law. This lovely winemaking village, which is a really beautiful little village, used to be the summer retreat for the popes when they lived in Avignon instead of Rome actually has a law which bans UFOs from landing in the town, flying over it, or taking off from it. <laughs> It's true. Only in France. Like, you know, the aliens will be aware of that law, of course. Uh, it must be written somewhere on that uh, famous guide that all aliens are using, how to become a French human. Well, yes, and of course, yeah. any alien would want to become a French human and nothing else. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> It's proper weird, isn't it? But apparently when the film War of the Worlds came out, it scared the heck out of everyone in the early 1950s. And there were a whole load of people all around the world, including France, who claimed to see spaceships and aliens. So the mayor of Chateauneuf-du-Pape, who was clearly quite a clever man, had a bit of a brainwave. How to get free publicity for our town. So he passed a law in October 1953 banning UFOs. It still holds, though apparently, to the best of our knowledge, the law has never been broken. Oh, I, I just had an epiphany, Janine. I'm pretty sure now that Go the on. mayor of uh, Chateauneuf-du-Pape at the time was himself an alien. <laughs> that will explain. Well, you can tell him. I'm not going to tell him that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is the Good Life France podcast. Oh là là! Le podcast The Good Life France. Okay, tune in for the next episode, uh, people, when uh, we'll be talking about fun and fantastic festive French celebrations. And there's a few. Uh, strawberry tarts bigger than a bus, omelettes that would fill a whole room, and more fun stuff. 
I'm looking forward to that. In the meantime, you can find me at thegoodlifefrance.com where there are thousands, really thousands of articles about France and all things French from culture, astronomy, history and heaps more. And on the website, you can also sign up for the podcast and for our free magazine, The Good Life France, which you can also find at magazine.thegoodlifefrance.com. And you can find me at parischanson.fr. It's a radio station playing the most beautiful French songs of the 40s, 50s and 60s. 16s, uh, mostly, 24 hours a day. It's the home of uh, Edith Piaf, Charles Trenet, Charles Aznavour, Maurice Chevalier, Serge Gainsbourg, and many, many more. It's a great show. It really is, Ollie. Thank you. It's uh, au revoir from me. And goodbye from me. Speak to you soon. The Good Life France podcast. Available on all podcast platforms. On thegoodlifefrance.com and on parischanson.fr.com.